If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about albums that we think are unsung classics, and then you guys tell us if you're right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Let's fucking do it, guys. Hi, you're listening to the Unsung Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Fraser, and I'm joined by the two men who will be the last surviving characters in a play about Brexit. Uh, playing Michael Gove to the right of me, Mr. Chris Cusack. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> and playing the owner of Weatherspoon's Pubs to my left is David Weaver. Hi. I'm a, big, I'm a big love. fucking idiot. Hello. <laughs> I'm a big fucking idiot that looks like a grey lion. We serve gammon. <laughs> both, both, both senses. Exactly. <laughs> Man, that is really true. <laughs> we serve gammon to gammon. Yeah. Where did gammon come from? I don't know where I know where it Pigs. means. Don't. <laughs> hey. hey, nice one. You can't say that. Don't, don't, don't offend Dave. They can say pigs. No, you can't. I can't say anything anymore. If I can't no, say pigs, how will you know what to be angry about? Stop virtue <laughs> <laughs> Um No, where did where did the, the term gammon come from? I don't know. The name of the food. No, but they call. <laughs> no, it was a Twitter thing. Like somebody called Brexit people gammon. It was, happened about two years ago. Because they're pink and angry, and <laughs> they they they're all salty. But so are a lot of fucking Scotsmen. <laughs> also, gammon's just shite. Like angry kind of tanned or sunburnt English tourists and Magaluf complaining about fancy Spanish food. Proper British food, yeah. I think it I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm not saying it doesn't make sense, just that I'm just I was just curious as to where it came from. Plus gammon is shite. If you do make the decision to eat meat then don't do gammon it's just shit bacon isn't it? It's really thick shit bacon. Cack. And it's almost certainly the kind of animal product that tastes most like human flesh. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I've not, I've not checked that. These, but you can't imagine. <laughs> uh, and also, they always put a fucking pineapple on it. What's that? That what does that? happen quite a lot. Yeah. yeah, or a fried egg. 
fried egg. Oh, that's bogging. I hate fried eggs. I, I do I, not miss eggs at all. And well, fried eggs are the worst. I eat eggs, eggs, but I have to admit, I have a love hate relationship with fried eggs and poached ones, especially if they're not cooked properly all the way through and they're that wobbly stuff. Yeah. I quite like uh, a fried egg. A poached egg has to be perfect and it can be quite difficult for a lot of places to achieve. <sighs> scrambled eggs can get right in the fucking bin. Yeah, that shit. See, scrambled egg was the type of egg that I could eat. Mm. I, like, I, I, was, I never liked eggs since I was little and everybody thought I was a freak because everybody seems to fucking love eggs. Uh, I have no idea why because what is the worst type of fart? It's an eggy fart. Mm. So why do you want to eat something that I'd smells say, like the worst type of fart? I, I would say a wet fart is worse than an eggy fart. I but you can't I, you, to smell. You can't, you can't tell if it's wet or not from the smell. <laughs> Is you it know. worse than a fanny fart? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what was it? Custard cousins last week. Fanny fart this week. See, Welcome to B thirteen with Chris Cusack. This is why we'll never be in the BBC. <laughs> Plus, we know things about music. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we fucked it. Uh, I entirely fucked plus it. Plus, we we don't talk about the same, you know, ten bands ad infinitum. Oh, d- don't don't be sour, Christopher. You're being sour. <laughs> you seen that with a straight face? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, well, anyway, you know what the egg thing? Eggs. I, I think fuck off. But scrambled egg was the only one I could Mate, eat. Omelets were so fucking good, man. Nah, omelets are. Uh, Spanish. The yeah. Tortilla Spaniel is amazing. Fried uh, fish toast. French toast is fucking, fucking brilliant, banging, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Dave, you're wrong. No, I like French toast. <laughs> pancakes? You don't have them with pancakes, I suppose. They're in them. Well, they should yeah, be. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't mind it as an ingredient, or I didn't, like, used to. Like, mayonnaise. I fucking love mayonnaise. Didn't put me off eggs. The consistency but, um, of that freaks a lot of people out. Mayonnaise, yeah. Including members of your audience. Yeah, and, and me. <laughs> <laughs> members in the room. <laughs> really? You're not a big male fan? Mayo? I hate mayo so much, man. That's weird. I fucking love mayonnaise. I'm uh, intolerant of vegan mayo. Really? I found out. What is it? Uh, I found out. Year. Oh, yeah, I remember detriment that. at a nearby restaurant. What is it? I don't even know. I just, I don't go near any of the variations. It's a lack of gammon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think the eggs thing, right? The egg thing is really... Interesting, because clearly the the problem with eggs is that they're grinding up all these baby male chicks, and that's the mm-hmm. that's the the horror of it. So they'd like developed this process by which they could now X-ray eggs mm-hmm. and chromosomally identify what the egg was going to be, male or female. Um, and it's so I'd, I'd kind of had this conversation as well. And it, it was this before or after this, trans, this transubstantiation? <laughs> Conversation <laughs> It's sort of concurrent um, Most of my conversations are concurrent is In an ever-grown list of people That no longer accept my calls um, but, <laughs> Or company uh, <laughs> uh, But the eggs thing was interesting Because you know, there's this research And this new development Where they're like Oh we can tell what gender uh, with sex I Don't, think don't assume <laughs> we, can, we can say sex I think in the case of eggs um, but, That an egg's going to be And therefore we can We can destroy it Before you're destroying a chick mm-hmm. um, and that then led to this outrage of like oh but you're destroying unborn baby chicks I was like sorry are you are you pro-life and it became this really odd argument where I was talking to people who are ostensibly really left wing and most of their beliefs including their veganism mm-hmm. and then they suddenly had gone super pro-life in the notion that somehow destroying an unborn male chick thereby preventing suffering was ethically wrong and it was like I'm I, I have gone through the looking glass here like surely that is the solution that we're looking for which is that male chicks don't have to be destroyed and therefore or just you know. don't eat eggs well 
Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, a, a lot of people in the world would very no very... I know I know I'm in a privileged position where I'm able yeah. to uh, blah 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 I know but I that know. but that egg argument really was an eye opener because it was honestly people who I know are ardently pro choice who then were literally making a pro life argument yeah anti um, anti chicken abortion yeah, really odd. If you're lucky enough to have seen Chris Cusack with his uh, top off, you will notice that Honest Monkey has got I Hate Vegans tattooed across it. I don't hate... What the fuck is that all about? <laughs> I don't even... I don't... For a, I, I absolutely, completely sympathise with the arguments, actually. I think there's a very good case. Uh, but it was worth it just for that reaction alone. <laughs> oh my God, man. You've you got I Love Gammon on really the back of your knees. I don't want that to take. That's, it, could, it could be further from the truth. Um, but I... No, I've, as with many things, I have issues with the methodology, but not the no, not the stated aims. I think they make a lot of sense. And gammon, not like gammon, anti gammon. You, yeah, fucking antagonist. Fuck off. It's <laughs> leaving your week, right, David? This is this is your week. Shut this guy it's up. My week. <laughs> Shut yeah. this guy up. <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, this week I'm choosing a record that oh, I don't know. Like it's not not a lot of people will have heard it. I this don't is think. one of the purest exercises in. The unsung podcast that we've had probably since that time you also picked uh an extremely no no it was fritz that was the, the next most obscure mm. record i think we've covered uh so yeah for a yeah, while anyway the big reveal i uh, so it's a band called shells i uh, and you have to type it out asterisk s-h-e-l-s one l shells uh, and the album is their debut record sea of the dying dow Dow is spelt D H O W. Yeah, David's Dow is a traditional uh, Arabic boat. Uh, fishing boat. Yeah. Ah, okay. I remember first learning about Dow's uh, on uh, from Michael Palin and around the world in eighty days. Uh, my parents had part one on video, but didn't have part two, so I never found out if he actually got there. My goodness, <laughs> uh, that's cruel and unusual treatment. Yeah, but he 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 went from Somalia to. Uh, the Arabian Peninsula via Dow. So, as it happens, as you may remember, if you listen week upon week, uh, last week we had some real problems with electrical interference for this week's recording, which is actually happening just shortly after the last one. <laughs> it's not really <laughs> giving away the secret. Uh, we have switched off every appliance in the hope of eliminating said interference and we are therefore in a technological blackout so we cannot look up and find out whether Michael Palin actually did make it so if well, you he is now a knight of the realm so he clearly made it <laughs> yeah be, I mean I'm pretty sure he made it but I don't know if he made it in the 80 days or exactly you know, so if know. you can let us know <laughs> you go. This is like one of those competitions where you phone in. It's like, uh, was Abraham Lincoln a famous baseball player? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Michael Palin, did he make it in 80 days? Just to follow Chris's point on that, you have to let us know because as soon as we finish recording this episode, we're going to completely fucking forget. <laughs> so please let us know. That's also true. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're in the midst of a technological blackout. Everything is aff at the wall, as we'd say, mm -hmm. uh, which is also a bit of a training exercise for uh, March the 29th. March the 29th, yeah, when <laughs> the internet goes out, uh, when the food goes out, yeah. when the electricity when goes we, out. When we finally have the millennium bug, just, you know, like 19, 19 years, years later. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be a really pure time. Yeah, I've been... Uh, Do you mean pure in a... P 
paleo kind of way. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, we'll be following some really strict diets, I think. Yeah, I've been stockpiling uh, half-price packets of Pringles uh, over the festive sales period, so if anybody needs Pringles. You see, there's a guy who had, i seen in the news the other day, there's a guy who had 5,000 packets of of pasta Stop yeah but they're all they're all out day. of date and then he just started gifting them to random people like so like people would arrive at their house and there was a packet of two year old pasta <laughs> and they they were just like what is this and he just like put them out and he was like really just to the point about it about you know all oh, these people need pasta you know it's better than a food it's not a food bank it's like a food this is food banking and we're like what uh, and then somebody else like somebody who said that they'd got one at the front door said and I started to think that maybe it was like a gang thing and, it, and if I took the pasta in then they'd know that somebody was in that house but if I left it out then they'd think it was an empty house so they might try and break in or you know it was some sort of signal to the gangs hey Tony don't make me leave the linguine on your doorstep on these Tuesday okay That's, you're allowed to do that accent aren't you yeah I have Italian family and Italian flatmate who's the most bizarre and hilarious stereotype you'll ever encounter anyway. And called Luigi. He is called Luigi. <laughs> Boom. Uh, so yeah, so Shell's album is one of the most purest exercises and I was snatching something from a, some level of obscurity. I mean, the band have got, what, 10,000 plus followers on Facebook, I think, but... That's reasonably low level. Hundreds of thousands of listens than some other tracks on Spotify. Yeah, it was like 5,000 a week or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not... It's not bad, yeah, but they haven't released anything for eight years. This was their first album. First album. Released in 2007. Yeah. Uh, their first EP by the band, which was Wings for Their Smiles. Yeah, all one word. All one it word. It came out in 2004. Right. But the band kind of came out uh, of another band, uh, a band called Mahumodo, um, who were around in the sort of early 2000s. And they were part of that sort of, that interesting UK heavy alternative music scene. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That a lot of interesting things came out of. And some st- stuff totally faded away, yeah. uh, and then some stuff and they were evolved a, and became huge. And there were a couple of labels at the time, like yeah, labels like Lockjaw and stuff mm-hmm. doing some Lockjaw, Lockjaw Undergroove, just regenerated. Undergroove, yeah, Undergroove. Uh, these guys are associated with yeah. to some extent. Yeah, um, um, Lockjaw are still going. They've just uh, re, they've just hired a bunch of new people and are like sort of rebooting almost. Mm. Uh, so Medi Safa, is that right? Medi Safa, yeah, came from. Uh, Mahomodo and Tom Harriman. He's he's American uh, and yeah, they're the classes have relocated a British American rock band. Yeah, I think he moved over to Britain for a few years in Mahomodo and uh, then moved back to the states, sort of mid two thousands, kind of mid uh, shells. And I think they recorded their second record like from both sides of the Atlantic and stuff like that. And in a, in a, in a nutshell, excuse me, uh, 
Maomodo had an EP called Shells, didn't mm-hmm. they? Yep. Yeah. Uh, they also, in, I think 2002, they started a record label called Shells, Shells Music. Music. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. which is, so he ended up releasing most of their stuff through that. Uh, the first record was also through Undergroove. But the Shells Music has actually got some really, really interesting yeah. stuff on mm-hmm. it. Uh, I think, as m- I mentioned back in the Wellhaven episode, Black Sheep Wall and Admiral Angry. Admiral Angry, yeah. Two records that. that I mentioned who are just unbelievably you know sort of heavy doomy sludgy stuff mm-hmm. also a band called Latitudes uh, released their first EP and the first two albums I think on that uh, album and they're like really 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 good uh, sort of post rock stuff There's actually a whole load of stuff from this um, sort of scene that I, th- I don't know, I kind of got into um, and have considered, you know, about bringing uh, to the podcast. Yeah, there's a lot of names that crop up when you're researching this band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the bands that we would make the, uh, that we've put forward just in discussions and that would probably yeah. make the cut. Um, now, as far as I understand it, Mehdi Safa considers this largely a project of him and Harriman and they have other musicians that come in and work around them. It's not so much yeah. a typical band setup. Seems to be somewhere in between. Although I know they they worked to a good extent with Simon Davis and is it Phil Buck? Mm-hmm. It's B U C H. I don't know how it's pronounced, but I'm going to say Buck of Eden Main. Yeah. yeah. another pretty highly regarded albeit only moderately active British kind of incredible band though what, what, what yeah, would you, what would you describe them as they were sort of like they were like post metal as well post like, hardcore they kind of had a scramsy sort of vibe to them as well yeah like that sort of like early screamo vibe aye mm. um, some of the but rock- the, I, I feel like basically Eden Main took uh, Fault and Fracture and Concubine by Converge and tried to make that a band a bit more chaotic crunchier I would yeah, say yeah yeah, yeah. bits of like the kind of that kind of weird iron monkey sort of disregard for things being too clean and precise yeah were- and then they're on their album like the they had an EP in the cold light I think it's called uh, which was really like that um, and I just think the drums on that record are incredible cool um, but what, on their what- album was a lot more post rock actually they're, like they had some big sort of progressive uh, pieces on their, their album. It was a lot less chaotic and screamo. Yeah, I certainly like, I remember liking Eden Main and I didn't think, it was when we mentioned them, before I'd even looked into them again, I, I, in my head they weren't just a kind of straight up mm-hmm. band, they were, they were a lot more interesting. I think one of them also played in that band, Devil Sold His Soul. Yeah, Mahomodo basically split into two and became Shells and Devil Sold the Soul. Um, so I think at least two members 
went down that route. Can I just say there's a, a live video by Devil Soul to Soul. It's a studio session somewhere of the song uh, An Ocean of Lights. Yeah. And it has the worst beard <laughs> and I've seen some bad beards man and I'm sorry the guy that's a singer in that band you're not by any means a bad singer and the band's fine but oh my fucking goodness <laughs> I hope one day you look back on that with the shame it deserves <laughs> it is absolutely humming mm-hmm. humming that, um, that was a real takeaway lesson well it's good that you learned something yeah uh, that first Devil Soul to Soul record was also another one I was thinking about bringing here because I think that released on Visible Noise at the same time as the first Lost Profits record possibly no it was way later it was 2007 I think yeah it came out about the same time as this because I remember both albums coming out and they were both former Mahomodo mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd never heard of Mahomodo before and that Devil Soul to Soul is, re- is a really fucking tight record it is post rock but it's kind of like put through a like metalcore yeah dynamic you know I'm kind of glad you didn't bring it because I think I, I did listen to a fair bit of it actually I listened mm-hmm. to a lot of the stuff uh, of the bands that kind of were tangential to these guys and I think Devil Soul to Soul could be really good and then they lapse into these sort of schmaltzy emo sung passages that are so of that time yeah, yeah, that yeah, are yeah. really alienating like mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't just they don't just go through with the heavy bits like An, An Ocean of Lights is a great song actually for, for most of it and then there's this bit that you're like, oh, it's so dated and whiny. And Aye, just- there's a couple of, and their second record, like I think their second track has like a really sort of upbeat emo bit in it. And it kind of worked at the time, but I don't think it's aged particularly well. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. naive. Um, so just before we go too far ahead, the first EP that wings for their smells, 2004, it's totally fine. Did, have you guys heard much of it? It's yeah, and then they kind of re-released it. Yeah, they so they remixed it. It's, uh-huh. it's got like a bunch of ambient tracks, and then there's like a, I think it's like three proper what you could maybe call proper songs. It's kind of like metallic post rock mm-hmm. more more so than anything. Then there was the album, but then after the album, they put out the second EP. I think pronounced Laurentians at all in yeah. two thousand and seven, and that has three of the remaster tracks from that original. It has one kind of longer uh, it says it's like a full length version of the song Water from the album yeah but it's actually shorter yeah, which what is, is weird what is that about? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't figure that one out and then four new songs one of which by the way is actually I think right up there with some of their best a song, a song called City of the Swan Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. really, really good song. Um, and but it's, it's odd. Did you also pick up on the fact that they have a song called Atoll in every single release they've ever put out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's weird that. There's something about like their entire sort of aesthetic and everything that they go is sort of kind of dreamscapey or dreamy or it's like to do with deserts or desert islands or something like that. And like obviously an atoll is like a little beachy island so are we going for what an atoll actually is it's a, a ring-shaped coral reef <laughs> do you want to know an atoll fact please do uh is do it a bikini what? atoll yes the flag have okay. you ever seen the bikini atoll flag no hit me up oh it's fucking incredible right so bikini atoll was the group of um pacific islands 
that were depopulated by the American army to do some nuclear testing in the 50s and mm-hmm. 60s. Diego Garcia, yep. I believe, was one of them. And so they got they all got moved to uh, islands about 150 well, miles away. Some of them just got literally sent out to sea. 3,000 odd yeah. people just like, there you go, guys, there's a boat. And they Aye, were f- sent towards off. the mainland and they, they ended up arriving on shores. They didn't even know what country it was. And I mean, Bikini Atoll is what the bikini is named after. They're famous for that. But if you look at their flag, it is the Stars and Stripes. On fire. <laughs> no, pretty much. But the stars, it's got the, the same number of stars as islands that they have. Uh, then they've got, I think it's something like, they've got like three black stars up on their top right and then two black stars down on the bottom right. Yeah, and that's to do with like the original islands are the ones up at the top and the two islands at the bottom are the ones that they're far away. So it signifies the distance. And then there's some there's like another number of stars to do with the, the islands that have been destroyed by the nuclear testing. And then also it's got a big fucking quote right in the middle of one of the white stripes that's like I can't I can't remember what it is. We should be able to Google this, but we're uh, living in a dungeon in a for head. this one. Yeah. But um you should check it out. It's a really, really interesting flag and bikini atoll. I mean like they they've basically j- they've just changed their flag to Fucking hell, America! You fuck you. It, it, it should. <laughs> it's be, amazing. It should really be an upside down stars and stripes, shaped like a polygon to illustrate mutation due to yeah, radiation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with, with a giant ten thousand times hotter than the sun star in the middle of the blue bit, mm-hmm. and then the red lines running like blood. Yeah, that would be pretty. And good. then on fire. Well, maybe we can update it. Maybe you can send your Photoshop skills to them. <laughs> say, hey guys, it's been thirty years since you changed your flag. <laughs> you stop pussyfooting about you. Yeah. yeah, come on. So yeah, um, good fact. Good. But anyway, deviation. yeah. Don't so, get that. You, you wouldn't get that in a BBC music <laughs> podcast. <laughs> We're recording this last week, just to be open. Um, sorry for interrupting uh, there. That's very uh, <laughs> out of nowhere for you guys. But we don't know what's happening with Brexit, and we still seem to have Theresa May's government. Well, by this point. At this point. We could have a, an army of chimps. Well, yeah, that's true. But the pound keeps dropping in value. <laughs> so we need to buy little things like mics and chairs and wires toilet and Toilet paper, and rice. Toilet roll. We need, uh, to stop, that. we need to stockpile. If you could send us euros, that would be <laughs> absolutely <laughs> ideal. Uh, or yen. Yen, yeah. Or dollars, yeah. Uh, Canadian dollars, Norwegian dollars <laughs> pesetas uh, yeah yeah fuck it anything but Lira. the pound it really truly is appreciated uh, if you can send us any money at all uh, you can go to uh, unsungpod.net dot net slash donate yeah just in the drop down some in the money. drop down box uh, check ancient Sumerian tokens <laughs> marked with the face <laughs> of an ox what was it Cisterci that was the Roman one isn't it you said that like obviously you well, know obviously that. <laughs> <laughs> of course do you, not, do you not read asterisks when you're a little <laughs> <laughs> but yeah if you can help us out we uh, do this in our spare time um, and we have no money so please give us some <laughs> uh, anyway thanks very cigarettes much cigarettes and ball caps also accepted to build a raft of, of, of cigarette bucks <laughs> cigarettes to float our way to mainland <laughs> Europe cheers thanks bye So, uh, but yeah, I th- I think obviously Medi's like the sort of the leader of the band, and he 
there's something about the whole you know the artwork that they do um his lyrics it's all very sort of dreamlike and sort of oh, i don't know i'm trying to think of the word but um pretentious well yeah quite pretentious <laughs> but you know sort of transient and uh i think that yeah. almost goes with the territory for some of this music. but you know it's fucking yeah. post-rock you know what do you mm. expect well this is kind of what we had to touch on, right? So, I'd like, in terms of what we're dealing with here, mm-hmm. I don't think this is post-rock. I think this is post-metal, right? I would say it's probably half and half. And I would love to, like, dig into that a wee bit. Cause I okay, think I'd love to. That's, that's probably a, a distinction that maybe we take it for granted how many people will even know what, the, what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, so, for me, like, when I listen to this, obviously there's a lot of prog in it. I hear hints of some of what Cave-In did, especially, for example, mm-hmm. when they use, like, acoustic guitars. Mm-hmm. That then segue into super crunchy heavy bits. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. The, there are loads of references to bands like Cult of Luna, obviously. Even in moments, attempts to kind of tap into like the super nastiness of stuff like Charger. But obviously not as brutal or nihilistic as that. It's like a bit more structured and within the kind of the, the, the trappings of polished and as you say post-rocky hints because it is at times almost as close to explosions in the sky Mm -hmm. as it is to something like that um i from from the description you gave us before it and from just reading a bit about them before i'd really dug into their back catalogue i expected something a lot lighter Mm -hmm. than than this was um it does get well i think part of what i like about it is the fact that it covers such a wide variety of sounds you know it does go from really light to really heavy yeah i mean i have to say for me one of the big weaknesses of this band for me is the excessive use of acoustic guitars there's something in that that lends to lends itself to criticism of the band as being a bit corny it's a very very fine it's a very jumping the shark mm-hmm. thing but it's, to me it's just crossing too far into prog when you start bringing acoustic guitars into like metal and and it's just a bit sort of oh, come on give us a break but at the same time i think there's a lot to take away for the band i mean Dave, you're a big post metal guy. I know Mark. I, I know you dabble a wee bit in it, mm-hmm. but uh, he's a dabbler. <laughs> so, like post metal, post rock wise, was like an extension of what Lift Experience, Godspeed You Black Emperor, and Mogwai especially were doing, where they'd taken this experimental rock stuff, but then it was played at such volume and with such intensity that it started to become almost metallic in the weight of the sound. And then that married with a lot of much more traditional metal influences. As, as I understand it, uh, the 96 album uh, Through Silver and Blood by Neurosis is considered by some mm. as like the original yeah, the post metal. Oh, 
so, so it was like their fifth album, I think. Yeah. Um, and like people like Terrorizer and Fact Magazine still call that not only the original, but still debatably the best or one of the best. It's a phenomenal uh, record, to be fair. Yeah. And um, post metal also, when we're trying to like come to some agreement on what it means, I think there's a, there tends to be an agreement that it it rejects some metal tropes, like even just the, the style of dress. It seemed to have a lot more in common. We, we spoke about it in Botch and Converge. People not wearing all black with long hair and pointed guitars. There was something a bit less tropey about yeah. it. Yeah, certainly one of the first bands that you know started off as a post metal band and sort of defined post metal or ISIS, and they were contemporaries of you know Botch and Converge. They were one of the big breakthrough acts, I think. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And a lot of stuff gets compared back to them. Even like like Cult of Luna now is very mm-hmm. heavily in- influenced by ISIS, for example. Um, we do have to, in the modern world, differentiate between ISIS the band mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and ISIS the uh, dog in Downton Abbey. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Big problem. Another band that I kind of came across, and actually I'm going to look into them a bit more, but when I was reading about the kind of prehistory of post metal, if you will, a band called Agaloch or Agaloch. Yeah, they always get mentioned. I never really got into them. A-G-A-L-L-O-C-H. And they're Mm. a band from Portland and Oregon. uh, And they're seen as one of the first bands to, especially as regards post-metal, to go towards the black metal or the more extreme side of post-metal. Because there was stuff that was just very loud post-rock, but then these kind of Scandinavian uh, symphonic sort of saturated influences started to appear especially like things like the high-pitched screaming vocals sunk down into the mix that became a feature for a lot of people also by the way Agalotch used a deer skull on one of their albums and I wanted to ask can you as a vegan buy an album that's had a deer skull played on it is that any different from buying jelly babies that I've got? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point or gelatin, so every time really. I stream that on Spotify I'm Breaking vegan. That, that because vegan that, has a, that has a non-vegan product in it. Well, it depends if it was uh, sourced ethically or not. I mean, if it was found in the forest. So yeah. we're, we're agreeing that finally that carrion is vegan. Uh, it is for me. I always eat every corpse I find. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so you keep the countryside tidy. You're going to get so fat after Brexit. <laughs> You're going to be the only guy over here putting on weight. <laughs> um, but uh, looking at uh, some of the, the bands that are like highlights of the scene, I mean, Godflesh, their second album, Pure. Godflesh, which is basically Justin Broderick, yeah. who's one of the only people in post-metal that's actually British, mm. or at least one of the only big names in post-metal who's, who's British. But just Jez- Jesu as well. Yeah, Justin yeah. Broderick went on to do Jesu, or Jesu, I don't know how they yeah, pronounce Jesu it. Yeah, Jesu were basically his post-metal project. Yeah, and it was but it was a lot more, uh, tr- like Godflesh came from this industrial yeah. thing mm-hmm. and then started to come up with some of these ideas that started to reappear in other people's records, but... Jesu or Jesu uh, was much more kind of, ex- sort of experimental and trippy and yeah, um, a bit more ambient, a bit more droney. 
also a bit more sort of poppy as well. At, po- at points, he took like really sort of naive melodies and put them into this really sort of atmospheric place. Like, Some Jesus is really, really good. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting listen. It's quite challenging. There's a lot in this, actually, and I could actually see us doing like a special on this at one point alone. Um, but Well, there's a few records that I will definitely bring forward to the table that there's, are there's loads. I mean, entrenched see, in Just going through some of the names, like Neurosis' third album, Souls at Zero, is a great example of a band starting to move in an interesting direction and it's an, an excellent album you've uh, got bands like The Ocean you've got bands like Earth who they're kind of on the fringes of it because some of their stuff is certainly not post-metal but some of it really was or at least some of it yeah they were I mean they started as a drone band but yeah. I mean that's a touchstone of all yeah, post metal and, and, and anyway, stuff so. like Sun as well became you know on the, the periphery of post metal you've got Russian Circles who are like a, one of the the most highly regarded Another name that come up a lot, albeit I've seen Pelican, and I don't massively rate Pelican. I'll be honest with you. Although Australasia's very early, early Pelican has some amazing riffs. Their drummer is. Terrible. What is with that? Really bad. He just can't I, drum. I mean, I, I've seen him live. It was really embarrassing. And it's like, um, you guys must know. But do you know what? I was in Boston uh, on holiday. It was must have been 10 years ago, I think, um, because I'd just left uni. Uh, and Pelican and Isis played together, and I went to see them. And this was towards the end of Isis's career we're talking about ISIS the terrorist organisation yeah 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 right, okay. so uh, and I mean I'm we all know the, the their secu- later work the, just really went downhill I'm just going to say the security in the club that night that night was <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I mean I was I was looking forward to ISIS so much because Oceanic and Panopticon were like two of my all time favourite records yeah. and Pelican I'd always liked but ISIS you know were definitely the, the band for me but Pelican blew ISIS out of the water that night wow. they just sounded like a band that were enjoying themselves and they were like in it they had like fucking riffs all over the place and then Isis were just way too tight and too rehearsed and not organic at all yeah, and yeah. they sounded like a really boring tool basically that's interesting because so, that was the point where Isis had become almost very clinical and it, yeah yeah, yeah. They, that they, last Isis record I just find incredible yeah they, they totally passed their kind of Goldilocks zone of you know yeah. just yeah. naive enough but getting very very competent yeah and, and other bands that pop up as well are bands like Death Heaven who are were credited as having started this black wave this sort of mixture of like black metal and shoegaze and no wave sort of stuff Um, albeit David and Mark know my opinions on mm. Death Heaven and they're not 
nearly as positive as most other people's. They are incorrect. <laughs> and uh, a band that I think probably deserve a bit more attention uh, are Wolves in the Throne Room. I think I would, I, would yeah. call, I would call them a black metal band. No, we'll see. I think Wolves. I mean, their th- first two records are definitely black metal, but they they're a band that moved in a direction that was far more sprawling. And I think, mm-hmm. see, if you're talking about the, the the defining characteristics of this, I mean, the ones that were given that were obvious were like heavy, aggressive, dark in tone, um, and characterized by a lot of crescendos, which is something that this album that we're talking about today has. Uh, but also, you know, like always amplified the songs are generally quite long it sounds like very expansive and atmospheric they incorporate elements of doom quite mm-hmm. often uh, mm-hmm. there's also a lot of math moments incorporated into post-metal including like unusual timings very very large sections sometimes entire tracks that are in minimalism and ambient experimentation uh, there's electronica involved including some of the bands we've mentioned where they start to bring in synths and stuff isis did a lot of that then it builds upon not just the post-rock and post-hardcore kind of frameworks. It incorporates all these other elements of, like I said, like the electronics, the ambient, the doom, other ingredients. It's quite it's quite a rich vein mm-hmm. of, of music. And Another all- band that I'd highly recommend anybody uh, check out is a French band called Year of No Light. Year of the Light is really good. They're yeah. fucking incredible. Oh, while well, we're throwing in recommendations, uh, Monarch. Mm-hmm. And Amon Ra, I think. Yeah. never particularly got into Amonrad. They played with uh, Boris last year and uh, headlined and I kind of find that odd because we're Bo- Boris were much better. <laughs> Boris are a band that are weirdly tied in with the post-metal thing because there's Got so much of their experiment stuff, yeah because yeah, so much of their music is so different but it's, it's an interesting genre and I think I mean as I'm saying when it comes to shells I think some of their stuff was the right mix of that. I love shells when they're heavy. I thought they're really good at that. They sound like Deftones. I mean, the, the singing, yeah, the singing stuff. Like, so, yeah, there's there's moments of singing in this that we'll touch on. But when, just musically speaking, when they're heavy, I think they're at their best. And especially when they're heavy and they've got that kind of vocal sunk into the mix, either screamed or, or roared, you know, the various ranges. I think that is what works the best. And some of the, some of the subdued bits are okay, but when they lapse into like the strummy, strummy stuff, they lose me a wee bit because it becomes a bit too corny. That's the only word I can think of for <clears> it. I, I just can't really get with that. You can't, somebody yeah. putting on a 12 Well, we'll discuss this when we come to the record, I think, because I think for me, that's a lot of the charm in this record is that they just do it anyway. They do things that other bands might not pull off and they might come off as cheesy, but for me, it works out. I would agree with that to some extent, but my caveat would be that the album, that the, the final album they released, mm-hmm. um, Planes of the Purple Buffalo, yeah. 2011, I prefer that album 
actually really quite like that record. I thought like the, the first track, Journey to the Plains, has a, some great moments in it. Yeah, There's that's a, a fucking brilliant, brilliant track. Cyclical riff thing that starts later on in that track. third track the title track um, has this weird Morricone thing with trumpets Uh, the sound in that album I think is bigger it's a bit more cinematic Um, I think like the fifth track Vision Quest is a good example of that It's also quite upbeat. It has like that kind of pausing metal feel to it, which is a bit reminiscent of Explosions in the Sky, who I'm not a big fan of by any means. But it was it was well tempered by the. There's a track on that, the eighth one called uh, "Was It Crown of Eagle Feathers," mm-hmm. which is the kind of most black metal of almost anything they've done. That song and that for me is the best song the band have released. really really good um, really dark and brings together a lot of these elements and kind of issues some of the cheesier moments that they have in this album um, so I, I, I don't disagree I, I really like them in theory I'm just not sure about the ratios on the album that you've picked Yeah, it, it, it jars me a wee bit it pulls me out too often I think well let's talk about that we, we haven't done our nexus yet. Oh, shit. We haven't done our normal schedule here. Well, since the show's largely rapidly becoming about the nexus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's Come edging on. towards the end. Give the people yeah. what they want. Um, okay, well, uh, a bit of music to lead us into the nexus then. It's the Unsung Podcast. Dave Grohl Nexus need to find a way to connect the show to that guy. And I went first last week, so one of you guys can take the lead. I mean, I'll I'll take the lead and do a, a simple. It's fairly simple, but okay. um, mine is not simple. I so as mentioned, they've uh, Shells released their first record on Shells Music, but also with help from uh, Undergroove Records. You bastard! Were oh, you bastard? <laughs> <laughs> See, we've all done the same one, have we? This is going to be interesting. There's a lot Undergroove of Records released Raging Speedhorn. 
Yeah. I don't know that. Okay, about Raging Speedhorn? We've branched off at the first Some step. absolute... I mean, that first Raging Speedhorn record is actually fucking great. Raging Speedhorn, despite being giant meatheads, do kind of kill it. Yeah, totally. Well, the only problem is Raging Speedhorn consistently got shot on by Charger. Aye. Yeah, that's true. I know. Raging Speedhorn uh, went on tour with loads of bands in the late 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> he certainly did. Mm. Including uh, like, some absolute... Hummers Like Earth Tone 9 Who are a fucking brilliant band <laughs> Oh my god uh, the, the bubble wrap album Will was Haven <laughs> Skin Dread uh, Kitty <laughs> Defenestration Biohazard Oh my god Slipknot Amen Raging As mentioned Speedhorn, last year You shameless prostitutes you. But it's just because they, they were the only One of the only Actually decent heavy bands In Britain oh. You know at the time They're, all, but they're, they're also yeah. one of those bands That when a band wants credibility And they're a naff new metal band They're like Give us a decent support So that we, we look a little bit edgy Aye uh, Anyway um, They then Toured in 2001 With Mudvayne <laughs> like, you said that like you were at it No, they did <laughs> uh, And LD50 An underrated record by the way That's so big Dig was the classic club anthem. Bada, 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 but there's a couple bada. of fucking great tracks on that. Uh, Nothing Again is an absolute belter. Uh, anyway, that album was produced by Garth. Garth. Uh, which brings us out to a lot of 90s. So many. Oh, oh, 90s. Well, yeah. So many 90s. Um, so you could take your pick uh, from, you know, to get to Nirvana from here. Stuff like. Oh, I don't know. It's all, it's all shit, isn't it? Curb Dog. Um, yeah, Curb Dog. <laughs> Wait, did the fuck he did the uh, album? He did uh, three fucking Biffy records, didn't he? Yeah. No, that was um, that was. What, what does Biffy not, Clyro have to do with Nirvana uh, other than the fact well, that, yeah, exactly. that was Colin Richardson? Um, not, not not Garth Richardson. Really? Colin, yeah, it was Colin Richardson. Yeah. Mm. Well, maybe he worked on. It's listed. Is it? Biffy is listed in the oh. his uh, list. Uh, but anyway, I went for uh, L Seven. He, he did uh, really easy to get to Nirvana for yeah he Hungry for Stink and then I mean L7 toured with Nirvana blah 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 yeah Dave Grohl was in Nirvana safe bet yep good one okay I'll Mark, go okay um, so we, we, we know that it's via Undergroove via Undergroove so uh, as they've mentioned Undergroove released a whole bunch of records some really cool ones and some really weird ones including a record by Sorry and the Snatchers Band formed by Scott Sorry, who was <laughs> former member of Amen and the Wild Hearts. He's also a really good friend of a friend of mine, and he is unfortunately battling with a brain tumor right now. Um, but he just he really did a GoFundMe and he released and they raised a lot of money. It did a lot of beneficials, and the outlook is pretty good. So, you know, a positivity there. That's good. I would yeah. appreciate you warning me <laughs> so I don't giggle immediately before <laughs> you give us like drop a bomb like that. Sorry, um, sorry, yeah, Scott, sorry. <laughs> As a member of AMN, he was also in the same band as Casey Chaos, of course. Yeah. Did we not talk about Casey Chaos last, last week? week yeah, we two did, episodes yeah. in a row. Mm. I.e. an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Casey Chaos appears on the truly, truly awful 
third Vanilla Ice album called <laughs> Fuck off really That's amazing Called Hard to Swallow Which is a new metal um, record right? oh, I forgot he did a new metal record Produced, yeah. produced by Ross Robinson no less. The name Holy is well Hard to Swallow Jesus. That's perfect Um, hard to stomach It's hard Yeah It's an album which also features Sonny Mayo uh, Who's a Johnny Mayo guitarist Yeah was he not in With the likes of Godsmack Machine Head maybe No it was in Godsmack It's Head. weird we were talking about Mayo earlier yeah. Hey Eggs um, <laughs> How do well, we feel eggs. How do we feel about the consistency of Sonny Mayo <laughs> Oh well You're, you're going to find out about how consistent his career's been um, So he's been in Godsmack Snot Head P.E. Godsmack <laughs> And Ugly Kid Joe Playing drums on that record is also Shannon Larkin Who is one of the founding members of Godsmack And has also been in Ugly Kid Joe Amen and Snot So the whole thing That's a Comes full circle Nasty family And the The record Motel California By Ugly Kid Joe Features <laughs> Lemmy On some guest vocals And oh, yeah. Lemmy was in Probot With Dave Grohl Of course Alright well, oh, Vanilla Ice <laughs> Did either you guys take note Of how many stages you went through Yeah I've got it written down There's a few Mine's 12 Okay let's go Mine's okay. 5 So Shells uh, Released their first album In partnership with Undergroove Records Who yep. you both have mentioned Undergroove Records uh, Released albums by Take a Worm for a Walk Week Brief Glasgow Institution uh, They released records by Charger uh, Coexist mm -hmm. Another yeah. Glaswegian uh, cult uh, outfit And Aerogram mm -hmm. uh, Not Aereog a Glaswegian cult outfit <laughs> Aerogram Another uh, Yeah A very very Common reference point If you're Scottish uh, Aerogram The bassist in that band Was a guy called Campbell McNeil A big Beardy sur Surly fellow Who also worked for a while As a sound engineer In the Barfly in Glasgow Campbell McNeil Was to some extent, uh, I hesitate to make it too official, but the manager of churches before churches were churches mm -hmm. and then continued to play a role with the band to some extent. I'm not sure what, but uh, he kind of got into that as a, uh, on the back of a tour where he was the tour manager for the musician Gautier. Uh, oh yeah And Gautier released that fantastic song uh, His only song <laughs> Despite having multiple other albums uh, Somebody That I Used To Know The tune that sounds a bit like um, A slightly more anemic version of Sting Yeah which won oh my all manner awards, which is mental. He also, small fact, got his real name, uh, Wally DeBacker. <laughs> Brilliant. Wally DeBacker played as Gautier on Saturday Night Live in 2012. Uh, also on that show as a guest was Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin, uh, other than acting in the film No Country for Old Men, uh, Dobia, Dobia, uh, which could have been a link to Obama and Goonies. And Avengers as Thanos, all of them, but the Goonies, as Dave says. Oh. The soundtrack to the Goonies, the theme tune was The Goonies Are Good Enough. Good enough, good enough, good enough, good enough. 
absolutely amazing, Cindy Lauper said with no irony whatsoever. Because I mean, she is obviously great, fucking brilliant. Cindy Lauper also covered the song "I Drove All Night," the world's most creepy rape song, uh, mm. sung by a semi-blind man called Roy Orbison. Mm-hmm. Second, second most creepy rape song. Right, the first one's got to be um, that Sting song. Every step you take, every breath you take, that's a pretty creepy. Really? I drove all night, crept in your room to make love to you. <laughs> Is that all right? I didn't say it was okay. Said the say, probably the second <laughs> the fact that he creepy. asks at the end of it, not at the start of it. Is, no. it, all Is right? that all right? Is, Is it all right if I creep in your room and okay make love to, be to you? Here? It's more like, I just crept in your room and made love to you. Was that okay? <laughs> Are we cool with this? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Roy Orbison and Friends, A Black and White Night is a, a feature length concert of Roy Orbison performance with a, a, an all-star cast band behind them, including Tom Waits, Bruce Springsteen, Katie Lang and Elvis Costello. Interesting fact, uh, in the audience for that film was... <laughs> <laughs> in the audience like, this person just watched this film at one point uh, no in the audience of this, the filming right, like, yeah, uh, no, the no audience, I'm joking, I'm joking. Right, uh, was Mr David Lynch uh, and David Lynch big Roy Orbison fan he'd also used uh, In Dreams in the film Blue Velvet David Lynch released a, a really pretty decent album called Crazy Clown Time um, of like this weird kind of post-punk electro stuff yeah it's pretty good uh, a track on that called Pinky's Dream which is a really good song uh, features the singer Karen O In 2018, Karen O, uh, as part of her band The Yeah Yeah Yeahs, appeared alongside Dave Grohl uh, at a thing called the Swing Left Midterm Democratic Fundraiser in the States to try and help get more Democratic candidates elected. Uh, Grohl, by the way, was playing drums for Beck on Devil's Haircut. Great. Bunch of lefties there. Well, there you go. Centers. Big gammon involved. Told you that was a banger. That was long. Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks. Some good jumps though. That was good. Enjoyed that. Okay, let's get back to it. All right, you guys ready? Are you ready? Here we go. All right. Thanks, Fraser. As always. As always. So, uh, Sea of the the Dying Dow. Yeah. 2007. So you've already mentioned that some of the moments on this are a bit cheesy. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we can we can skip through it. The Conference of the Birds, first track. I mean, it's a big sort of introduction to the entire sort of soundscape that you're yeah. expecting. I mean, at the same time, I mentioned the band uh, Latitudes, which came out, and that's like a far more simple sort of two guitars, bass, drums, post-metal, post-rock, 10-minute duration, but it doesn't this, have... I mean, this band is like... It, I mean, I've seen live videos of shells playing. There was seven of them at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that's the whole point. There's a lot more happening than on your sort of generic, your Russian circles, your ISIS even... Mm-hmm. Well, got a trumpet player for stars. Yeah, exactly. You know? So, Conference of the Birds, it builds up, I think that six minute introduction of the trumpet. Yeah. Really, it's quite euphoric. It's quite something. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I love that when it comes mm. in. It is like a signal. This album's a bit weird. Uh, we're just going where we want. The, um, the production in that track is amazing. It yeah, is. It's it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. The guitar really, sounds are so, so good. It's on a that, really man. good sounding mm. record. Um, only, like, this track I find a bit predictable. I find it, like, a bit strummy and it's, like, a little bit of a workout. But I get that... They take their time getting there, Of definitely. There's, like, a couple of tracks on this when they're going through that acoustic-y, strummy bit. It... Uh, I hate to say the word plod, but if you're being unkind, it could plod. But to me, it doesn't plod at all. I think it it's it is building up there. It's doing that sort of post rock, you know, dynamic sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, I also get that your first track should probably be a fairly representative balance of your influences in some ways. That's like a nice when it's mm-hmm. a ten minute song. It's probably good to touch on a lot of different. Yeah, yeah, areas. exactly. You know, it's um, got it's got a lot of. Uh, the sort of acoustic instruments in there but then as mentioned you know that guitar sound um, the big open overdriven stuff oh yeah, just been, sounds incredible but again when they let rip I think they're really good at it yeah That's and then at saying. the end of this record oh, the end of this song you've got those scream vocals in the background yeah which is them at their, um, their strongest yeah, I think and yeah. The chug comes in and the but will have any sound in yeah, yeah yeah exactly and I think they would definitely say that was an influence as well I think the the band over use three three timing a little bit it, it pops up a whole bunch of times in this record and coupled with the acoustic guitar it's a little bit like this again like I, as a writer that bugs me a little bit but mm-hmm. you know I'm just maybe being a bit pernickety I and, found the same thing as well like we kept going back to that same motif I was like oh we're here again. Uh, Indian One, the second track, does that as well, does the 3 3 thing. Uh, it's got that really kind of post rock crescendo. Um, although I do like. It's slightly more metallic in its approach to it's. Yeah. So it's got. It's almost like if explosions in the sky were more interesting. It's, yeah, 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 exactly. It, it has the euphoric thing, but it's done in a slightly more rewarding way. Is it White Umbrella? There's just an intro. It's like an ambient piece number three before it goes into the White Umbrella. Yeah, White Umbrella part one and then White Umbrella and then it just kicks off. That's the heaviest tune, right? Absolute chug. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The tones in that are massive. Yes, like, and then you know it just starts like that, and you're like, "Holy fuck!" And then drops totally, it, totally plays about with like your usual uh, arrangements, and it drops out. Then it's slowly like builds guitar in. and piano, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's got yeah. that do 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 sort of uh, piano that comes in. A bunch of really nice, like, piano melodies going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like some really nice chord progressions happening. I think it's just really, really warm. And by the time, you know, by the time 
the last crescendo builds up, there's just such a lot of nice sounds, you know. Mm. And you know what is better in music than lots of nice I sounds? I mean, that is the, that is the reductio ad absurdum of post rock, though. Is just like a a, a, of, a yeah. growing mesh of nice sounds. Then you know once again, then it just drops out again and goes into that massive chug and the scream and it's like evil, so fucking heavy. end songs on this record like yeah, the ends yeah. are pretty much all the songs are pretty impressive I think I think this is a point though where we may uh, diverge because track 5 Water is very much a song it's like a song song mm-hmm. yeah uh, almost sounds like a different band it sounds like yeah, the vocal is a Biffy Clyro vocal It's very British. This is yeah. one thing you've spoken about this in the past about how mm. you hear vocal lines and melody lines or even just melody sort of themes that are much more distinctly British than they are American. Yeah, totally. And this sounds like a British melodic vocal. It uh, sounds like fucking your three colours red or something like that. It's yeah, like a it, it reminded post me, grungy type. It reminded me of some of the your code name is Milo choices, like mm. music like in terms of the the, the direction of the vocal line and maybe to some extent like Hell is for Heroes or something like that as well I don't like this song I, I think I, I see what it's trying to do I don't think it needs to be in this album I think it's a bit corny I don't um, know I feel like it's like a deliberate sort of naive counterpoint to the rest of the records that I think works really well in the middle it's definitely yeah, it's definitely it's like variation. here is a big fucking chorus you know major keys in there and it's like <laughs> I don't know, I just think it stretches what this album is. But this is so, so here's what I say, I agree when you put something into an album that's distinct and expands the scope of that album, such as at the end of the Bronx album, that track that's a bit mm. more at the drive-in, that's one thing. Vocals are such a big ingredient, right? And they, they engage your brain in such a way and they define what you're listening to in such a way. If you have an album that is a vocal, not led, but this track is definitely vocal led, yeah. um, then you relate to it in a different way than you relate to music if it's non-vocally led. Not just because vocal isn't just an instrument, it's got other aspects that, that activate areas in our brain and pull us out of the music in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't think, it's it's not like throwing in a harmonica or throwing in a cello. For me, throwing in a vocal completely upsets the balance of what you're doing and if your vocals in the background and your vocal is an instrument such as in like black metal or such as in a lot of doom where the vocal is really just an atmospheric tool that's one thing but if you then completely change the nature and you only do it once or twice I think it is because there's a track later on that has quite a lot of vocal in it it, it just to me sounds inconsistent. It doesn't add to it in the same way as like another instrument, like a piano or, you know, a glockenspiel or something would do. I think vocals are a, a separate thing entirely and they change the nature of what you're doing. And for me, it just doesn't fit with the rest of what they're trying to do. I think I would have liked the rest of the album more if that hadn't been on it. Um, 
um, that's just my feeling. Yeah, on it. no, it's interesting you say that, and I do, I do always remember like listening to. I mean, I I got this album when it came out, and I well, I listened to it fucking constantly on CD and had it on repeat along with about you know like four or five records in the car like he used to you'd have like your five cds on rotation and i think maybe this was the track that i skipped when i had it Mm -hmm. but given context and looking back at it 12 years later i go back and look at it and listen to it and it doesn't feel out of place like i I don't know it it somehow feels like a nice kind of naive part of the record that belongs there which and maybe when I was you know uh, 20 when this came out and I thought it was cheesy and thought I was cool uh, I didn't like it but now I, I don't care the cynical part of me says that I suspect that perhaps they wanted something on here that could in some way be akin to a single I think they wanted something that could be like a flagship something that had a relatability yeah uh, and accessible mm. I think this is far, and you far, said earlier that it's maybe kind of Deftonesy yeah I mean that, certainly that big riff at the start like the kind of open kind of yeah it could be like, like it's definitely one of the more yeah. ballady Deftones like but be it's quiet one, and drive it's for way too long though it's, like, it's way too long for that and it, yeah, it was never going to be a single and that's why I don't think they were aiming it as a well, the single. Song's I five think, minutes long, though. It's the shortest song on the record. Well, the, the full version is six and a half. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I just think it's a, a misfire for me in the context of the album. I think the album would have made more sense and flowed better without that. Yeah. Suddenly synaptic interruption of like, oh, somebody's trying to speak to me, rather than the vocals being in the mix as an instrument, as like a, a harmony or a growl or a scream. Yeah. Suddenly they're, they're trying to actually speak to me, and it's like. Uh, I'm trying to listen to music stop talking to me yeah. it, I understand I just, it's just interesting going back and I do kind of remember didn't mind this track when I first heard it but then you know on repeated listens this would probably be the one I'd skip because I wanted to hear the chuggy bit yeah yeah but going back to it I, I didn't have that thought and I, I knew that this was the track that you'd, you'd pick up on because it does stand out and it doesn't necessarily fit but it's interesting that I am far more forgiving to it now than I was you know when the record came out Man, your your drives through the Highlands, so it must have been cheery affairs, eh? Uh-huh. Oh man, those were the days. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I had a summer job um, working in a in the post office sorting factory from midnight till five a.m. Wow! I uh, but it never gets dark. It gets dark at one a.m. and three gets light at, at three a.m. Yeah. Uh, must so have been beautiful. Though. It was fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. and like listening to this record, driving my mum's Toyota Yaris mm-hmm. about ninety five. Uh, Getting home in about ten minutes. If you listen to this record, if you're, great. yeah, if you're, if, if you're, I'd have time for one song. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to the, this podcast uh, abroad or even much further south, and you've never been in the northern hemisphere, Google it. When it just when it doesn't ever really quite get that dark. And yeah, particularly like in Inverness and the Highlands. The scenery is just amazing. Yeah, yeah, so. um, and yeah, basically in June, the sun skims the horizon yeah, yeah, yeah. at about 1am and then pops back up. Uh, but it is, yeah, it's a, it's a good time Dramatic landscape, we had an interesting uh, Whereas this uh, this time of year, the sun pops out of the horizon <laughs> for about four minutes at 2pm and that's it. And that's <laughs> why we're all so unwell. Yeah. Um, but by contrast, I think, see the, the, the sixth track, the one immediately after this, the title track, Sea of the Dying Dow. Yeah. That's probably the best, the best song on it. Uh, really metallic in the middle. So 
Kenny Mashaga, real that, build, so yeah. it's got that five four. It's dead strong, down. and it's much more brutal. And as I said, way way back at the start of this, uh, it's uh, I, I like that. I like it when they really commit to the to to the brutality of the music. I think they're yeah. good. At, they're good at that. And it fades out and it f- gets swallowed at the end, but it kind of makes you want to just put it on again. Uh, and then we've got the obligatory Atoll Which as I said is on every single one of the, Yeah uh, which the is just like a sort of little 40 second track uh, It's so sure that I actually forgot to write a note for it <laughs> uh, Yeah that's fine <laughs> Sorry, it's I, I feel like Like a lot of this is kind of ambient Sort of mixtures anyway yeah. uh, um, And the what, Kill Intent is can like I just, actually, The Kill Intent's interesting because it marks A really odd end to the album Because the album sort of starts to go off This like Weird acoustic prog. Yeah, for the next like and two or yeah, three tracks. Three tracks. Like it, it actually, I kept expecting one of these tracks to burst back into volume. And mm. yeah. for like three songs, it's like, no, no, we're not going to do that for a while. Yeah. And okay, I get that they're trying to buck the trend of maybe earlier on, but I, I actually think as a result, these are kind of some of the weaker songs on it. The kill intent is fine. It goes back to the waltz thing. It's got some nice guitar in it. The picking is, yeah, is the, pretty the good. Really kind of Celtic uh, rhythm to it almost. Yeah, on it's the, the guitar. first one with like a kind of seventies vibe. I felt as well. Yeah. Uh, I also like the fact that they kept in these really noisy fret squeaks. You know, when you're moving your hand yeah, up and down. And like, the mic is obviously just placed right yeah, in front so of that. I like that part of it in the production, but the fact that it's then followed by Indian Two, which is another strummy kind of prog track kind of uh, truly almost like uh, bits, of, bits of cave yeah. as well man mm. and like And then the tenth one again is it, it was a return to Gulu. Is anybody? Yeah, that's another Gulu. Is. Another big slow lad. Okay, and if it was earlier on in the album, there'd be a big explosion, distorted, yeah, yeah open chordy bit at the end. But this kind of teases you. Yeah, but I a bit like more. both of those songs. I, I, yeah, I, really, I, I, really, I do like them. I really do. And I think they fit because I think they're all kind of building up to the last track, which in itself is mostly a build up. But I mean, that's see, that's the thing. That's exactly it. I think it's something of an anticlimax because for me, you've played your best song, number six, "See the Dying Doubt," which I think is excellent. And then you've done an ambient tune, a strummy tune, a strummy tune, a strummy tune, and then the eleventh strike in dead in dead palm fields. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um. Again, you're back into three three. Yeah, it's kind of epic and it shifts over to four four, but it doesn't do it as well as a couple of the earlier songs. And even though it's quite abrasive and more abrasive than some of the others, and it's that kind of fake ending, I, I just think the whole thing kind of ends on like a like ah, leaves me with that kind of. Oh, I don't know. I think it ends on one of my favourite riffs of all time. That's a good riff. <laughs> sort of it uses it sort of collects everything that you've got from the album so far uh, you know it takes like some of the motifs that you've had and you've got your acoustics coming at the four then it comes back to the big four four rhythm
goes quiet you know you're sort of four and a half minutes in and then the sort of scream comes in and you're like this is abrasive this is more sort of hardcore you can kind of hear the Eden main sort of stuff drums feels sort of urgent and come in and this sort of you know scrapey guitar but then you've just got this massive sort of post-metal riff does it four times like they don't yeah it's, it's they not, don't like keep doing and fade out like they do on uh see the dying doubt they just like do it four times and then that's it yeah then you've I, got a false end and then i can a little in a bit well yeah and then just see if you can see the dying doubt obviously track six out of 11 is basically the the pivot for this album and i think if you put it on that the album topples in the side in, in the direction of the first side i just think it's stronger i, don't know. I, think, it's I more think the riff at 648 on track 11 is strong enough <laughs> it's like this big fucking column of riff <laughs> that the album can yeah stand it's a nugget of solid riff a bookend I, I don't know man i, 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 don't, I don't know it's in, it was interesting going back to this record because i fucking love this record when it came out and i don't think it's i don't think there's a lot that sounds like it and i don't think it sounds like a lot of things th- well, there are i think it sounds like i mean to be fair to it there's a lot that's come since uh because that was 12 years ago now i think it sounds like elements of some very good bands i think some of the aspects of it have been done much better as i said though uh, in terms of the band, I like a lot of what the band are doing. I think I preferred playing uh, Plains of the Purple See, Buffalo as a as a record, um, but I do. I, I I would I would put it in because I think as a debut album of a band that has a lot of yeah, personality and interesting things it's, happening. It's a high quality record. I think it's it's a higher quality record than I mean, we mentioned the Aerogram. It's a higher quality record than stuff they've done, and mm-hmm. they've got loads of credit for it. So I mean, the fact that shells are still so under-recognised suggests they, they deserve more attention but maybe they maybe they, yeah, I don't know I, th- I think they deserve to be in so if this is the one that goes in I would back it I would, I'd, for me I would have personally picked the last album and I think if you do like this then I would encourage you to check out the Purple Buffalo album I just don't think Purple Buffalo adds enough I think there's way more going on with this that's I th- the point I, I think it's more focused I like that mm. I, think, I, I, think, I love that f- that first track on Planes of the, the Purple. A, there's loads of good um, tracks in that. I think, I think the thing with Buffalo is they've, they've managed to sort of shed a lot of moments of the things that I personally think they're weaker at. Yeah. I think they've identified their strengths a bit better and they've focused more on them. And I do agree it's less varied, but I think it's a more consistent album as a result. Um, and it's good when a band's most recent album is its best album, albeit they're not doing stuff now. What are your thoughts, Mark? Um very interesting that's yeah that's all, that's all I have to say <laughs> on that you know I like this record I think I need to be in the right headspace for this kind of music as it stands I think this record has got more character than Planes of the Purple Buffalo uh, but I do also think Chris that you're right I think there's more consistency to be found on that but character can be bad well <laughs> zany <laughs> it can be like it's clearly yeah, like a loads of characters I hate yeah. I never liked Will and Grace I didn't like anybody in Will and Grace I don't think you were supposed to oh, I don't know about that sorry um, carry on I think this is a little bit eccentric this record I think it's a band trying things and sometimes they fail at those things and I've, I've brought records in here before which do similar things and I, 
I really appreciate that in a band. I like a band that takes risks. Yeah, yeah. It's like watching a film that isn't perfect but does weird things just yeah, to try I mean, them out. I would, I'd rather watch a band overexert themselves and fail than stick to all the rules. Yeah, yeah I, I very think easily that. I've done up made a, another kind of Mogwai rip off record, which is some heavy bits and that, which they could quite like. There's moments on this record. You mean like Mogwai? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mogwai doing it there's elements in this record which I think could be like you know Isis playing Mogwai you can hear it about to happen but then they do something a bit different but they also I th- I think bring in some of the worst elements of prog which is like the acoustic guitar parts which albeit I like the songs which are mostly all acoustic I think plonk them in the middle of some songs can sometimes rob them of the power I think there's yeah. other interesting ways you can do that but that's got its own charm as well, and I like that. And like you said, twelve years ago, this, this record came out twelve years ago, and um, not a lot of people were doing this back then. Maybe upon reflection, maybe as we look back at it now, knowing what we know, I think some of it hasn't aged particularly well because there's bands that have done it better now. I would, I would agree. I would concede as well that in terms of unsung, the ambition of a band can be unsung in a similar way to the achievements of a band being unsung. And I think the ambition of the band is admirable. I just also feel that one of the things that marks a great album is a band knowing its strengths and its weaknesses and making, we talked about brevity, we've talked about how focused a product is. I think, yes, it's less, maybe less ambitious, but for me, less ambitious equates with more focused, but it's horses for courses. I mean, you guys like this one. I do like the band. Um, I don't think they're the best post-metal band ever, but I think given they're under recognition, they deserve a shout. And, in, you know, there's definitely moments in it, even somebody that's into very heavy musical finds something in this that they enjoy. Mm-hmm. Great. It's a decent choice. It's it's, an, it's a, a left field choice, but yeah, it was, it was rewarding listening. There's definitely a couple of tracks by them that I'll, I'll hang on to as well, mm-hmm. specifically that I thought were, were really good. Yeah, and then it is worth it's worth going through the Shell's music uh, catalogue as well because yeah, the label really is good really stuff interesting. On that. Yeah. yeah, that second, the, the, the first, I'm not angry. Is that the only album? Or was uh, they, they did a that? second, like one yeah. track record that was like 15 minutes long. The first, I'm not angry, angry album is utterly amazing. Yeah, and Black Sheep so Wall as well, if you like sludge. Uh, anyway, yeah, so Shell's See the Dying Die, go do your Facebook voting if you like that sort of shit. Uh, Chris, what are we doing next week? Uh, next week, I'm going to take a wee burl at something with a huge back catalogue. Uh, I'm a big fan of Tori Amos. Uh, Tori Amos, in most cases, wouldn't maybe necessarily qualify for this, but I think she has an album called uh, Tales from the Quergill Hotel? Motel? I can't remember. One of two. That is reasonably well regarded but not nearly as well regarded as it should be especially in relation to some of her other catalogue which is much uh, more commonly topping lists and sales figures so yeah we're going to go for that it's a fair bit of work though because she's got a lot of stuff and I'd like to kind of give a fairly representative history of, of what she's done but we'll try and not stretch it out too far cool well magic thank you very much guys 